Romans chapter 8. And I did intentionally ask uh, Wilson if he would read Romans 8, 5 through 17. I asked him to begin at verse 5, although the whole section, the, the unit that goes together is Romans 8, 1 through 17. Okay, that is the the section that goes together, we won't try to look in detail at every single verse, but we will, uh, with God's help and only with God's help, we'll, we'll do an introduction to Romans chapter 8, the great 8, and as we are turned there with our Bibles open, let's pray again. Join me in prayer. We'll even take a moment of silence, and you can ask the Lord to help you this morning. Lord, as the, as the old hymn says, be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. Lord, settle us now. As James prayed, settle us as we come to this time. Speak to us. It's your word. It's for your glory. Lord, we are your people. We live in a storm-tossed world. Pray that you would speak peace to us this morning through Jesus Christ. Lord, please help me to be faithful to your word. Lord, open our eyes. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So then, brethren... So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Quoted to you, Romans 8, 12, and 13. I'm speaking from the New American Standard Version, one that I learned, Romans 8, years ago. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. I have four points this morning for you, four headings that I want to preach to you this morning Good news for you because last week in the message, I was an 11-pointer, and this week, I'm a four-pointer. So let's look without any ado. Let's look into God's Word. And as I've said, uh, the, the unit, the text is Romans 8, 1 through 17. We enter the, the great eight. First thing, the first of those four points this morning that I want to say to you is very simple, really, and I just want to ask you to please always remember uh, the great importance in the Bible of Romans chapter 5. This is point number one. Remember that Romans 5 is one of the most important texts in all of the Bible. I'm speaking specifically about Romans 5, 12 through 21. If you want to know the Bible, 
If you want to know the Bible, there's a sense in which you can know the Bible through Romans 5, 12 through 21. Why am I talking about Romans 5? Because as we begin to look in Romans chapter 8, our passage today goes with the second part of Romans 5. There's There's a fairly close connection. So you may or may not remember that that many weeks ago, uh, when we started Romans 5 through 8, Romans uh, 1 through 4 has been called coming under grace, and Romans 5 through 8 has been called living under grace. And many weeks ago, when we started Romans 5 through 8, we pointed out that it, it kind of to like a sandwich structure to where in the middle of the sandwich you have Romans 6 and 7, which go together. Romans 6, we are free from the slavery to sin. Romans 7, we are free from bondage to the law. But the outer part of the sandwich, Romans 5 and Romans 8, go together. Romans 5, 12 through 21, which really is one of the most foundational parts of the Bible Jesus Christ is the second Adam, Romans 5, 12 through 21. Again, just just never forget how important that paragraph is. It tells us that we can have assurance, listen to me, we can have assurance based on the work of Christ. And today's passage, the first part of Romans 8, goes with the second part of Romans 5. Today's passage tells us that we can have assurance we believers can have confidence in future glory based on the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit, Romans 8. The work of Christ, Romans 5. Now look there with me, Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin, Indeed, was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, Romans 5.14, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Notice that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ. And the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Pause and stop right there. If you want to know the Bible, 
not saying anything to you right now, earth-shaking. No, Romans 5, 12 through 21. Remember the great importance of this passage. And for our purposes today, this gives me an opportunity. I'll just tell you what, it gives me the opportunity here in the beginning of Romans chapter 8 to just take us back to Romans 5 because they go together. And we'll try to point that out one more time. We have assurance through the work of Christ. We have assurance through the work of the Spirit. Uh, So we're, we're not Roman Catholics. We don't believe that we always have to be wondering, am I okay or am I not? It's not, it's not arrogant to have full assurance. It's not arrogant. Based on God and based on Jesus Christ and the work of the Spirit, it is right, it is not arrogant, but it is right that believers would have confidence of future glory. So that's the first thing, and it's kind of a, it's kind of a big context thing. But here's the second thing. And I've already mentioned this to you. This is the title of the sermon, and it's the second point, and here we get right into it. If I've said this second point uh, to you once, then over the years at Crossway Church, I've said it five or 10 or maybe even 15 times, and it's this. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. you. You've heard me say that before, maybe. Now, that's not original with me. That's a guy from 400 years ago named John Owen, okay? John Owen was a Puritan. He wrote books with great titles like The Death of Death and The Death of Christ. In The Death of Christ, we find the death of death. That's awesome. And he said this again. He said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Now, if you understand that our whole passage is Romans 8, 1 through 17, well then, this phrase from John Owen is meant to be a summary. This uh, pithy phrase, be killing sin or sin will be killing you, is meant to be a summary of verses 12 through 13, okay? Verses 12 through 13 are like the linchpin. He lays out the truth in verses 1 through 11, or you could say the doctrine. He gives the doctrine or the truth And then he applies that truth beginning in verses 12 through 13. Now, let me stop for just a moment. And for just a moment, let me uh, very explicitly bring in Jesus Christ and the gospels and, and the gospel to bear on this passage. Verse 32, what are we saying so far this morning? We're saying Romans 5, 12 through 21 is massively important. In tandem with our text, we're saying be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Uh, Look at Mark 14, 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, it says there in Mark 14, 32, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Martin Luther spoke about this text and he said, never man feared death like this man. Never man feared death like this man. Verse 34, and he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, 
My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. I want you to get the picture. Get the picture. Jesus is in this place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, He's there with, with all of his disciples. But from the group of his disciples in Mark 14, 32 through 42, from the from the group of his disciples, we know as he often does, he chooses three, right? He chooses Peter, James, and John. And, he, and he, the text says he goes a little farther with them. And he says to Peter, James, and John, he says, I want you to stay here and I want you to pray. And the idea is, listen, is that they would pray for themselves, that they would pray for themselves, that they would not fall into temptation, Mark 14, 32 through 42, the Garden of Gethsemane, this is the eve of his crucifixion. The eve of the crucifixion. And the text tells us that leaving Peter, James, and John a short distance away, he goes, Jesus goes, and he falls to the ground, and he begins to pour out his his soul. We see the full humanity of Jesus Christ, and he says, Father, And he doesn't just say, Father, what does he say? What did Wilson read earlier from Romans 8, from our passage? He says what? He says, Abba, Father. With you, all things are possible. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I'm about to go to the cross to bear the sin of the world, to bear your wrath on the cross, Jesus Christ took the holy anger of God on his, on his head, as it were, on his shoulders for all of God's people. And he says, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And he goes, as you, you know the story. We won't linger much longer. You know the story, right? Three times, three times, Peter, James, and John. Peter, you're sleeping. Their eyes were heavy with slumber. Could you not? Watch and pray, right? Watch and pray. Oh, my fellow believers, my brothers and sisters, watch and pray. Pray for yourself. Pray that you may not fall into temptation. Pastor James mentioned in his prayer this morning, the Lord's Prayer. We pray daily. Daily, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Watch and pray and remember maybe primarily that he calls out, Abba, Father. I've mentioned that you have to bear with me because I learned Romans 8 from the New American Standard. But remember again, verses 12 and 13, that linchpin of Romans chapter 8. So then, brethren, we are under obligation. And the ESV, which, of course, we typically use, it says we are what? We are debtors. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. Now, when it says in verse 13 that if you're living according to the flesh, you must die, I don't think that's just, you know, kind of like casual die as if there is a casual die. I don't think that's soul sleep. I think it's what it says. If 
And it doesn't say, at least in the, in the NASB, in the New America, it doesn't say you will die or you might die. It says if you are, present tense, right? Ongoing present tense. If your life, if your life is marked by habitual sin, you must die. There is a warning here. There is a warning because this warning is given to believers, to those who name the name, listen to me, to those who name the name of Christ. This is for you, Christian, my sister in Christ, my brother in Christ, my fellow Crossway member. If you are living according to the flesh, notice again the language, you must die. Brethren, brothers. Now, to be clear, I don't think that Paul here in verses 12 and 13, I don't think that he's saying, you know, I'm really suspicious of you guys, you Romans. I really am totally unsure as to your salvation. I think as we compare another scripture, I think he believes that they are going to pass the test. I think he's, he believes they are going to pass the test. Nevertheless, to use the words of John Owen, he says, and it's a bit of a wake-up call, isn't it? Because it's clearly to Christians, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Don't, don't adopt the language or the mentality of I'm struggling with sin. You know, language matters sometimes, right? I'm struggling with sin. More biblical would be Romans 6, 11 through 14. Romans 6, 11 through 14, fight sin. And also, we don't shy away from this, kill sin. Kill, make no truce with sin in your life. Put sin to death. This is talking about mortification, killing sin. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. He says to the believers, he says in verse 13, but if you are putting to death the deeds of the body, notice again the present ongoing tense. If you are putting to death the deeds of the body, believer, you will live. You will live. You will live eternally. But that's not what it says. It says, if by the Spirit, if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you and I, own strength, cannot kill sin. In a sense, that's Romans 7. The law, as good as it is, will not help us. I know that we are jumping right into Romans 8 here, and we'll pull back in just a minute. But for now, as we linger on Romans 12 and 13, we see this word to believers. If, if you've made a decision in the past, if you had a good day three months ago, no, every single day, if you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Do you hear the conditionals? We've got to understand this appropriately, but it says if, if by the Spirit. This is Romans chapter 8. What is Romans chapter 8? The Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 1 through 17, the Spirit 15 times the Spirit, over and over again. This is how we kill sin. You know, in the ancient Greco, uh, as we call it, the Greco-Roman culture, adoption was a very serious thing, we are told. And so a man might adopt a, a young man as his son, and in that culture, to adopt normally meant that his son was totally equal 
and sometimes more than equal to the naturally born sons and daughters. And as we see that background, and as we see the background in the Old Testament where Israel is called God's son, Jesus Christ is the preeminent son of God. And as we don't just stop with verses 12 and 13, but as he goes on to say in verse 14, listen, as he says what? As he says, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. It's been pointed out that the two things that can shake us most as Christians, the two things that can shake us sometimes to our core as Christians are number one, our struggle with remaining sin. And number two, the external factors of suffering for the sake of Christ and persecution. These things can, can shake us to our core, as I said. But grace truly works. Grace truly works. All who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means you have the Spirit of God. What does it mean to have the Spirit of God? It means you're a Christian. Fifteen times in these 17 verses, 15 times, and he uses different language. Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit, all of this. Let me share with you a quote from a man named Frank Thielman. This is not mind-blowing, but listen to what he says. When we experience physical and emotional suffering, just as Jesus did before his passion, Think about Mark 14. Think about the Garden of Gethsemane. When we experience physical and emotional suffering, just as Jesus did before his passion, we too can cry out to God as our Father. What is that Abba Father? It is the gift of the Holy Spirit that the same personal, the same personal, intimate relationship that the Lord Jesus Christ has with God the Father that we have that relationship. We too pray, Abba, Father. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane on the eve, Abba, Father. Romans chapter eight says the spirit himself, not the spirit itself. The spirit's not a force. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit. You see the two spirits, the spirit, capital S, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit. Your Old Testament, right? You got to have two witnesses. We've here got the witness of the Holy Spirit who testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, you are going to inherit the world through Jesus Christ. Therefore, you owe nothing to your sinful nature. You owe nothing to your sinful nature, Christian. What has your sinful nature ever done for you? What? 
No, no, no. We are debtors not to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, Christian in name, you must die. But if by the Spirit, that is the key, if by the Spirit be killing sin or sin will be killing you, you don't go out to your, uh, to your nice beds at your house and say, there's a weed, let me chop it in half so I can still see the bottom part of the stalk. Uproot the thing, kill it, make war on sin by the Spirit, by the power of God. Your hope Christian is still Jesus Christ and him crucified, that you are united with Christ. That's the main thing where we intentionally spend the most time. And now let's quickly notice, having noticed already, number one, Romans 5, 12 through 21, and its great importance and relevance. Having noticed, number two, be killing sin, as John Owen said, or sin will be killing you. Number three, we notice, and I mean more than the obvious thing as as though it sounds, we notice that Romans 8 follows Romans 7. I mean more than the obvious point. Romans 8 follows Romans 7. Last week, I tried to bring in Romans 8 as we focused on Romans 7. And now briefly, I want to remind us that these go together in a sense. If you're here last week or if you know anything about the second part of Romans 7, you know it's, we talked a little bit about, is Paul, what is Paul talking about? We said, Kent Hughes said it was kind of like a golfer. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I do do are the things that I don't want to do. Who's he talking about? As he comes to say near the end of the chapter, near the end of Romans 7, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You remember that from the end of Romans 7? Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so Romans 7 ends on this wonderful high note, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Just glance back there at Romans 7, 14. Romans 7, 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. Anybody? For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And then in verse 24 and 25, it seems like he's coming to this wonderful crescendo It seems like he's leading us right into the glorious portals of Romans chapter eight. And here we've entered heaven. And then he comes back. He comes back at the end of Romans chapter seven. And he says, now let me go back to what I was saying. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. This third of four points that I've said this morning is this, is that Romans seven follows Romans 8. In Romans 7, you do see the word spirit mentioned. Romans 7, 6 is a key verse, but the word that you see mentioned over and over and over again in Romans 7 is the word law. And the word that you see mentioned over and over and over again, as I've told you already, in Romans 8 is the word spirit. 
You do see spirit in seven. You do see law in eight. But there is a transition here. Let me tell you what Kent Hughes says again. Kent Hughes represents a guy who takes the strong view, strong that Romans 7 is clearly about the believer, even the normal experience of the believer, which is, which is basically what we looked at and taught last week. But he says this, kind of surprised to hear him say this, and I like it. My hope in our study of Romans 8 is that it will enable us to live more and more in the freedom of the glory of the children of God so that chapter 7 will become less and less our experience. So we want to echo what we said last week, that struggle in the Christian life is normal. Remember, we struggle with the external suffering and persecution because of Christ. We struggle. We're sometimes thrown off of our horse by the internal. But increasingly, we want the truths of Romans 8, as Hughes says, to make it so that Romans 7 becomes less and less of our experience. That being said, at Crossway Church, we believe in human responsibility. He gives the truth in Romans 8, 1 through 11. He bursts on the scene with this talk about the Holy Spirit. But then he says, it's not automatic It's not automatic. You must be killing sin. And by the Spirit, every true Christian will. That's a promise. Every true Christian by the Spirit will be putting to death the deeds of the body. Finally, this morning, brothers and sisters, we see no condemnation. No condemnation. Would you please bear with me a few more minutes as you already have so well? Look at verse 1 of Romans chapter 8, where Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation. Listen even to the language. He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that, so that, so that, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There is, therefore, now no condemnation. There's two T's and two N's. There is, therefore, now. No, I just love how it even rolls off the tongue. But forget that. Forget any type of eloquence. Listen to the truth. For the believer in Christ and only for the believer, only for the Christian, which can be you this morning by the grace of God, there is, therefore, now no condemnation. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. There was condemnation. There was condemnation. You see, we need to grow, and this is not any way a a berating at all. We need to grow to become all the more a worshipful church. We need to grow according to the book of Romans. God help us. God help us to be a united missionary worshiping church. This, This is a cast vision. God help us to be a united missionary worshiping church. How are we going to grow in worship? 
by never getting over grace, by never getting over the gospel. He says in Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation. There was condemnation then. There was condemnation. Romans 5, verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, that's, that's, that's what I want to say, is one trespass led to condemnation. What he's been talking about are these three great powers, sin, death, and the law. In Adam, you are either in Adam or in Christ. This is why the second part of Romans 5 goes with the first part of Romans 8, because he talks about condemnation. What's the opposite of condemnation? Justification. There's either death or life. There's either obedience or disobedience. There's either Adam or the second Adam. There's either justification or condemnation. You're either declared right with God through Jesus Christ or you're declared guilty and condemned to an eternity in hell. There was condemnation then. There is no condemnation now for believers. For believers, if you repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ, Romans 8.3 says that God did what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin to condemn sin in the flesh. Listen, Jesus condemned sin so that we wouldn't be condemned. You and I are not condemned because he condemned sin in the flesh. There is therefore now no condemnation. One man described it like this, and with this I close. I think we all are familiar with a trust fall. And as we're familiar probably with a trust fall, what do we as suspicious humans do in a trust fall when you have to have blind trust that the person behind you is going to catch you when the instructions are that you're not supposed to bend your knees, you're certainly not supposed to take a step back and brace yourself. And as Christopher Ashe has pointed out, when we find ourselves as believers, Romans 7, struggling mightily with the sin that remains in us, such that we are thrown off, when we find ourselves for the sake of Jesus Christ suffering in this life, that's what this life is for believers in one sense. It is a life of suffering. As Christopher Ash says, we begin to question, does grace work? Romans 8 in tandem with Romans chapter 5 says, take it to the bank. You can have full assurance right here, right now, today, that the unseen realities, we have never seen him, 1 Peter 1.8, but we believe in him and we rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. And I'm going to get a new body. And Jesus was raised from the dead, the first fruits of the general resurrection. We're going to be raised from the dead. And there is a day coming. Believe it. Take it to the bank. Because, not because you're successful at killing sin, but because Christ Jesus killed sin. And because of his Holy Spirit, by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We thank you for this language in Romans 8 that he is called the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of adoption. 
O Lord, once we were in fear. We were in slavery to fear. But that is not the spirit that you have given us now through Jesus Christ. I pray that for those in this room who do not have the spirit of Christ and therefore by definition are not Christians, that they would look to the Lord Jesus Christ and run to Jesus, the crucified and the risen one. Thank you, O God, that you did what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. Thank you for Jesus and his shed blood on the cross. And we pray in his name. Amen.